Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Church. Uh, if you're out in the lobby, you can go ahead and make your way to your seats. Welcome if you are watching on Facebook Live or uh, listening on podcast. We are glad that you are here. My name is Ryan Jackson, and I am a member of the teaching team here at Grace. And uh, so if you're visiting with us or are fairly new, our Sunday morning teachings are formulated by a group of people who get together each week and hash out the, uh, the text for uh, the, the upcoming weekend. And so as we launch into a new series this morning that will take us through the rest of the summer, uh, just want to remind you that if you uh, are, are uh, wanting to contribute to the Sunday morning teachings or just want to witness what that looks like, uh, you are more than welcome to come join us on Tuesday mornings. Uh, all it takes is a working alarm clock. We meet at 6.30 at Onyx Coffee in Springdale, uh, and so there's uh, no commitment required. It's a very loosely affiliated group, uh, and so that is an open invite. Uh, many of you are aware, if you've been here for a little bit, that for the last three years, uh, we've been teaching uh, through a format called the Narrative Lectionary, and that is a four-year cycle of readings that uh, it coincides with the historical church calendar, and it helps us to see uh, the overarching narrative of Scripture. And at the beginning of each calendar year, it takes us through uh, a new uh, or a different gospel account. Um, but the narrative lectionary actually takes a break for the summer, and so for the next week's, 12 weeks or so, we are going to dive into the first half of the book of Acts, which is great because last week we finished the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and Acts will pick us up basically where that left off, and so uh, it's, a, it's a good next step. Um, and so... If you ask someone relatively familiar, relatively familiar with the scriptures, what Acts is about, they'll probably say something like, it's about the early church. And that is very true. Uh, but to simplify it even more, uh, Acts, is, Acts is about the first people who staked their lives on the reality of Jesus and what their lives looked like in light of the reality of Jesus after he left them in bodily form. And so we're calling this series Reacts. I think, yeah, the, uh, our logo's up here on the screen. And so we're going to treat this as a conversation between us and the people of Acts, the, the first people that followed Jesus, uh, like Jeff said a moment ago. And so we're going to be uh, dialoguing with them throughout the summer, uh, asking them questions and allowing us uh, to do the same for us as we did just a moment ago in our discussion question. So maybe that sounds exciting, maybe a little bit strange, maybe both. Um, but it's funny, right? Because at some point we've all had the conversation that goes like this. If you could have five people over for dinner, living or dead, to ask them about their lives and anything else, who would you choose? Uh, and, and it's a really popular get-to-know-you question, a really popular icebreaker. Um, but what's neat about that question is that it engages the imagination uh, and it shows a lot about our interests and our affections. Uh, and so it, it's fun to think about, you know, what would it be like, you know, to ask Abraham Lincoln about uh, the state of American politics today or Beethoven about music or C.S. Lewis about story and theology. Um, but what if it's more than just a game, uh, but, but it's also a way to engage that imagination 
uh, and, and to learn something that we couldn't otherwise learn uh, about our practice of worship uh, and, and to bounce that off uh, the, the people who did it first. And so we are going to engage in that conversation this summer. Um, and the Holy Spirit's going to be our interpreter. It's, it's going to be a lot of imagination, and it's going to take discipline and, and being open to learning new things in new ways. Uh, but if we do it, uh, the payoff will be worth it. And so pray with me, and we'll dig in. God, we love you. And uh, this morning we pray that uh, you'll give us the Spirit, uh, that you will teach us through your Word and the people in your Word, uh, that we'll be uh, humble to uh, receive it, to submit to, to your Word, uh, and that you will uh, affirm us and, and sharpen us as we seek uh, to, to know you more and to live abundant life. So this morning we are in Acts chapter 1, we'll be in verses 1 through 11. Dear Theophilus, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, He talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and soon. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, You don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there, staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. They said, you Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who is taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. So since we're going to be in Acts for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to take a little bit more time uh, and and, uh, look a little bit at the background of the story. Uh, And so most scholars ascribe uh, the authorship of Acts to Luke, uh, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And uh, as you can see in verse 1, uh, the author says, this is volume 2 of my writing. So Acts kind of serves as a continuation to the book of Luke, which he tells us uh, in that first volume he wrote about the, the sayings and doings of Jesus and his followers. Um, and so... Uh, this is actually the last of the historical books of, of not only the New Testament, but all of Scripture. So everything that comes uh, after this, just uh, all the letters that come throughout the New Testament were written during the time period that Acts covers or shortly thereafter. And I think we've got a, a graphic uh, that kind of shows real quickly the timeline. So uh, the book of Acts, as you can see, takes place over the course of about 30 years. 
uh, and and two thirds of about two thirds of the books of the New Testament are written during that time, uh, with a few written just shortly thereafter. Uh, and so those books will a lot of times reference the historical events that that have happened during the book of Acts. Uh, but Acts is the last of of the actual history, and obviously it comes on the heels of the gospel accounts, which are also kind of historical and biographical uh, in nature. So getting back to the text, uh, you know, what Luke tells us is that Jesus died and then he presented himself alive, which is kind of a strange saying. Um, He died and then presented himself alive, but he proved to them that he was alive and and that he was Jesus uh, in many different contexts. And then they asked him in their last gathering, Jesus, when are you going to deliver us from the oppression uh, of Rome, from, from being bullied? Uh, we're, we're just little Israel. Um, and Jesus, he doesn't answer the question. He gives them a non-answer. Uh, he tells them, you're not to know that, but what you're going to get is the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, they're going to take the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom of heaven, to their town, to their region, and to the entire globe. And then Jesus just up and splits. He disappears in the sky, and, and some people in white robes say, and he'll, he will come back someday, and it will be as mysterious as what you just saw. And, and that's it. And so with that in mind, we now get to imagine ourselves sitting across the table from these first followers of Jesus. Uh, and, and one of the questions that, that we're asking them this morning is, how was Jesus different after the resurrection. Uh, He was on earth for 40 days after his resurrection, uh, and he clearly spent time with his followers uh, in in many different settings. Uh, And so what did they notice about Jesus that was different in those final 40 days uh, compared to the three years that they'd spent with him prior? Take a moment to think about what other questions you might ask uh, and the questions that, that they would ask us as well. As we go through this exercise this summer, it's, uh, it's really just a fresh way to try and answer the question that we're trying to answer every time that we, that we meet here on Sunday mornings and every time that we get together with our grace groups and honestly, every time we just try and survive you know, another day. And that question is, what does it look like to have abundant life and how do I get it or how do I get more of it? I mean, isn't that the question that we're all, that we're all really asking? Um, we know, that there's, we know that there's peace to be had. Uh, how, do we, how do we get more of that? Uh, and so this is obviously a different way to get there than, than you know, we normally practice. Uh, for me, it feels a little bit you know, abstract and strange. Um, but for those of you who need structure, and I'm generally one of those people, we, we've kind of outlined a, a few ways that we're going to interpret the book of Acts as we go through it this summer. Uh, and so we're declaring that, that an active gospel imagination is built, by lis- is built by listening to the Holy Spirit, giving unique authority to the Scripture, and submitting to Jesus and each other. And the practices that facilitate this obedience are reading Scripture Christologically, redemptively, communally, sacrificially, imaginatively, and prayerfully. And so these are 
some words that may not be super familiar. Um, but as we, as we interpret Acts this summer, um, when we think about uh, what it means to interpret Christologically, uh, that means that uh, we look through the lenses of Jesus, through his words, through his actions, and what we know about Jesus to inform what happens even when he is departed from earth that what he does and says uh, is relevant in, in all situations, um, and that his approach and ethos are given primacy. When we think about looking at Scripture redemptively, we ask ourselves, where is the Scripture going? Where is it pointing us to? Um, you know, what's the goal it's pro- proclaiming and the ethos that it is establishing? When we look at, look at it communally, uh, we acknowledge that we're not designed uh, to walk this life alone, and we're not designed to interpret scripture alone, uh, but that we do that uh, with, with a multitude of people. Uh, and it's obviously, you know, starts with, with the people in this room and the people with, in our, within our specific church. Uh, but then we look at, at the local church, the historic church, and the global church. So uh, as we think about what it means to, uh, you know, continue to walk into uh, worshiping God, We've got each other, and then we've got a, a breadth of people that transcend our culture, that transcend our time and place uh, in the world that goes back, you know, thousands of years and hundreds of years uh, that have different experiences that we do, but we're all working to understand what does it, you know, what does it look like uh, to, to practice faith and to grow in our knowledge of Christ uh, in, in the context that we find ourselves when we look at Scripture sacrificially, uh, we acknowledge that God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the church are, are not means to our own ends. Uh, and while we need the gifts uh, that, that they give us, um, it's, not for, it's, not, it's not for us to get ahead, um, but it's for this message of, of peace to be proclaimed to the whole world. And so we submit ourselves to that uh, not for, our, <clears throat> not for our own gain. When we look at Scripture imaginatively, and I told John, I said, you use the word imagination a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's not a theological... In my experience, it has not been a church word or a theological word, but I love that it's something that, that you know, we talk about a lot at Grace uh, because it means that uh, we all get to think critically about the text. We all get to think critically about the context in which we find ourselves in. Uh, and that we always get to keep asking for more revelation. There's always more to learn, more to experience. Uh, and so uh, we, we continue to stretch the imagination, to exercise our imagination, not so that we gain uh, more head knowledge, but that we gain wisdom that allows us to walk in obedience and humility. And finally, uh, we look at Scripture prayerfully. Uh, we know that any true understanding uh, of Scripture and God is revealed by the Spirit, um, and that's in conjunction with, but not bound by, the above practices. But we pray as an act of humility, an act of submission, an act of love, of our own need and obedience. Uh, and so the wisdom we seek is not from ourselves, but from God, and the enlightenment and transformation that we seek comes ultimately from God, and so we pray in all things. And so as we grapple with the question this morning, how was, how was Jesus different after the resurrection? 
In light of this text, I'll suggest one answer, but it's, it's not the answer. And uh, like we just established, you know, we all get to stretch our imagination uh, to, to think about, you know, think about these questions that we'll be asking this summer. But uh, as, as we look at this text through these lenses, uh, Jesus was different in his final 40 days, knowing that his ultimate purpose had been completed. Everything that his life uh, was about and the reason that he came to earth had, you know, had been fulfilled, and he got to, he got to kind of switch his focus in those last 40 days uh, to, to allowing uh, his followers to take his message to the world. And it's funny uh, because we probably all on an infinitely smaller scale had uh, a difficult conversation or encounter that we know is coming. And, you know, in, in the garden, uh, in, in the hours before Jesus' crucifixion, he, he asked God, is there any way around this? Can we accomplish these purposes uh, in a different way? And there was not, and and Jesus submitted himself submitted himself uh, to to the way that was planned, and it's it's kind of like these difficult conversations that we know are happening. I know for me, it's like I, I'm try I want to I want to know is there a way I can get around this? Is there a way I can avoid this potential confrontation or disagreement or difficult topic or whatever? And then, but you just know, you know, you just know in your heart, like I can't avoid this, right? Like I've got to bite the bullet. Um, and then you have the conversation or the encounter or whatever, and yes, it's hard, but then it's over, and all of a sudden, the world is opened up to a new freedom, uh, you know, to new ways, and all of a sudden, that is, that's not the most prevalent thought anymore. Uh, there's, there's a peace, and, and what Jesus was feeling, I know, was, was more than just relief, um, you know, that, that we might feel once we've gotten through those, uh, but it I th- you know, I think that he's looking and he's saying um, that, that now the world is open and I get to hand this off to the disciples. Um, and so, uh, find my, so I'll find my place in my notes here. Um, so what does this actually mean for us as his followers uh, a few generations down the line? Um, when this idea of dialoguing with the first Christians was proposed, I thought about it the way probably many of us think about it. Uh, and that's that we're going to look at the first Christians and they're going to tell us all the ways that we're doing wrong and we're going to learn all the ways that they're doing it right uh, and kind of a, a very shame-based approach, right? Approach uh, is that, you know, we're going to... It's a compare and a contrast and, and we're doing it wrong. Um, I... D- that's, that's not really the purpose of our, of our dialogue this morning uh, or, or, or this summer um, because what Jesus found as he had this last encounter with his disciples is that he did not need them uh, to have their act together uh, for him to say, go and take this message to the world. Uh, and if they were perfect, it wouldn't have given them a leg up uh, because they didn't have to shame themselves into performance. Jesus had already battled shame and he had, he had beaten shame a few days prior. Uh, and so he simply asks them to stay where they are. And if they'll do that, they'll get the Spirit. And that will change the course of history. And so just like, just like those first disciples, 
as we are disciples 2,000 years later, our job is to, is to stay and to wait and to obey. Uh, and when we do that, we'll get the Spirit. If we'll walk in that, we put ourselves in, pos- in position to receive the Spirit and live abundant life. I saw a, a movie recently, it's uh, several years old, that uh, illustrated, illustrated this and, and illustrated you know, the Christian life uh, in a really beautiful way. And uh, it's, it's about a, a man that was born into royalty uh, and uh, he had a problem despite the fact that he had all the power and wealth and influence. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't very good at speaking, he had a speech impediment. And so he uh, was, was trying to find ways to work through his speech impediment to be healed and to be able to communicate, uh, and, and he wasn't having any luck. And his wife found uh, an unorthodox speech therapist, and so she came to the speech therapist and said, uh, I, I need you to help heal my husband. And she said, okay, we'll bring him by the office here, and, uh, and we'll do an evaluation and, and work through it. And she said, no, uh, you, you're, you're going to have to come to us. And he said, sorry, I, I can't do that. You know, my methods are going to have to work in, in my context, and uh, so he's, he's going to have to come here. And she said, well, you know, what if, he's, what if he's the Prince of England? And as you can imagine, his tone of voice and his body language kind of, kind of changes, and he thinks about it, and he says... I can heal your husband, but I'm sorry, he's going to have to come here, and that's just how it works. Um, And she kind of scoffs at first, but then decides, okay, I'll send him. And so he comes, and uh, he starts to to work with the therapist, and he doesn't like the methodology, uh, but he he sticks with it. And, you know... as you can imagine, it's a, it's a happy ending. His speech improves, and, and he's able to lead his country. He eventually becomes king. Spoiler alert. Um, but I would still recommend the movie. If some of you have seen it, the king's speech. Um, but this king, he had to come. He had to humble himself and say, I have, I have to live abundant life. I can't keep living like this. Uh, something's got to change. And all of his money and power and influence... Uh, you know, it wasn't going to matter if he wasn't going to obey what his therapist had allowed him to do, if he wasn't going to go by the methodologies that were going to lead him to healing. And so the disciples in this context are just told to wait. Obedience just looks like waiting. Uh, you know, they, they staked their entire lives on Jesus, and then he dies. I mean, they put all their chips on the table and then dies. It's like, you know, it, they feel like they lost the match, right? And then Three days later, all of a sudden, Jesus is alive again, and, and life, as, life as they were hoping, life as they'd staked it on, was back on. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving, and they're sitting here going, well, I thought we went through this already, right? You know? And so he says, you just have to wait. Uh, and so obedience comes sometimes in the form of waiting. Uh, in this case, it certainly did, uh, but... That is humble people saying, we'll do what it takes uh, to receive the Spirit. And so, uh, worship team, you are welcome to come back up. This theme of, of, of obedience and, and submission and allowing ourselves to 
uh, dialogue and learn from the people in Scripture is really a continuation from last week when Ryan Grace taught on the Great Commission. And that was a text that I had really struggled with prior uh, because I'd heard numerous interpretations of it, uh, but they all basically seemed to say, uh, obey this text the way I do, and if you don't, you're wrong. And I really didn't know what to do with that. And so uh, even before we had kind of got started in that text, I was like, I was already over it. Uh, just, you know, didn't want to deal with it. And then Ryan brought this, this definition of discipleship uh, that, that really changed that for me when he said, discipleship is allowing Christ to be the mediator between us and everything else. It was like I could, it was like I could exhale and relax uh, again, uh, not feeling like, am I doing this right? Uh, there was no pressure not to screw it up, as we talked about last week. And so as we walk into the book of Acts, uh, we're, gonna, we're just continuing that theme. We're, we're allowing Christ to mediate between us and all things. And when we do that, we'll get the Holy Spirit. We're going to move into a time of communion, which is a time to meditate on the life of, in light of Jesus, on life in light of Jesus. Uh, and so the sacraments we take represent the body and blood that was shed of Jesus, the life that was sacrificed so that we might find it abundantly. Our communion table is open to all who are seeking Jesus. We don't dismiss by rose, so you all are welcome to come as you.